This is a Squiz podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Simone Zaziaris. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Monday the 6th of September. In your Squiz today, a terror attack in New Zealand, searching for AJ, breaking the prince's trust, and farewell to the Paralympics. This is your Squiz today. Starting in New Zealand, on Friday, seven people were injured in a terrorist attack in a supermarket in Auckland. Ahmed Atil Mohammed Samsuddin was behind the stabbing attack. He was a 32-year-old Sri Lankan refugee and a known supporter of the Islamic State. Authorities were keeping an eye on him, Claire, so this attack wasn't out of the blue. It wasn't, although what authorities say is that they weren't expecting what happened on Friday. They had been closely monitoring him because he was someone of great interest to authorities in New Zealand, but they say they had no reason to think that he was going to do on Friday what he ended up doing. Uh, What happened on Friday was that in the supermarket, he picked up a knife from the shelf and he used that in a stabbing attack, as you say, injuring seven people. Three of the victims are still in a critical condition in hospital, but all are expected to survive. As for Samsudin, he was shot and killed by authorities uh, within 60 seconds of that attack starting in that supermarket. Samsudin does have a track record, Claire, and given that, a lot of people are wondering why he was allowed out and about in the community. Yeah, well, to his track record, he came to New Zealand in 2011 on a student visa and he was able to turn that into a refugee visa when he was found to need protection. He's a Tamil Muslim from Sri Lanka. Uh, But in 2017, he was arrested for trying to leave New Zealand. Authorities say that he was trying to get to Syria to fight with the Islamic State. And he was recently sentenced to one year of supervision for possessing Islamic state propaganda. Uh, Also that he was plotting a lone wolf attack using knives. But what Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister there, and others have said over the weekend is that although a decision to revoke his refugee status was pending, they were unable to actually keep him in detention because it's not against the law in New Zealand to just be planning a terror attack. Uh, Until Friday, he hadn't actually broken any laws. Changes to those counterterrorism laws are already underway and Prime Minister Ardern has said they will be finalised by the end of the month. Until then, she says that every tool available to authorities has been used, and this is a quote, to protect innocent people from this individual. Back home in Australia, Claire, the search is continuing for a three-year-old boy, AJ Elphalak. He's been missing in the New South Wales Hunter Valley region since Friday afternoon and his family fear he may have been kidnapped. AJ is autistic and he's also nonverbal and what his family say is that it's very out of character for him to wander off. His mother says that he holds her hand all day and all night and that they're together all the time. She believes that something isn't right and that goes to the family's belief that he has been taken. They have talked about seeing an older model white ute on a private road next to the property about the same time that AJ went missing. What police say overnight is that they've seized a white ute as part of their investigation, so we might hear a bit more about that today. Yeah, that major search effort is set to continue today. Fingers crossed they find AJ safe and well soon. 
On Friday, we spoke about that agreement made by National Cabinet that Australia would start to open up once 70 to 80% of people are fully vaccinated. We talked about Western Australian Premier Mark McGowan and Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk backing away from that agreement. But over the weekend, Claire, McGowan acknowledged Western Australia would be living with the virus at some point. He is sticking to a vaccination rate of 80 to 90% before the state opens up. Yeah, and where we landed on the weekend is Prime Minister Scott Morrison said that we should have better times by Christmas, that vaccination rates are increasing and that would see borders opening up. That's something that New South Wales and Victorian leaders agree with. Uh, Victoria's Daniel Andrews says that the Premiers uh, and the Chief Ministers and the Prime Ministers can argue about a whole lot of things when it comes to the management of the coronavirus crisis. But when it comes to opening up by Christmas, Andrews believes that that's something that all could agree that they need to work as hard as possible on to make real. But Western Australia's Mark McGowan isn't quite on board with that. He's really sticking to the aim of Australia's population being vaccinated to the rate of 80 to 90% before he says he'll open that border. But Queensland's Anastasia Palaszczuk seems to be backing away a little bit. She really pushed hard yesterday to encourage Queenslanders to get on with being vaccinated. And when you look at what happened on the New South Wales Queensland border yesterday for Father's Day with hundreds mm. of people going to the plastic bollards to hug loved ones uh, over the border. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who is moving things along, though, is New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. Yesterday, she said Aussies returning from overseas will be able to isolate at home rather than spending two weeks in hotel quarantine. That, of course, is once vaccination rates reach 80%. Michael Fawcett might be an unfamiliar name to many of us, me included, but he was Prince Charles's right-hand man for a long while. He was a former aide to Charles and went on to run the Prince's Foundation, a charity group set up by the Prince in 1986. That was until yesterday, Claire Fawcett has stepped aside from his role as charity boss while an investigation about his conduct takes place. So the accusation is that Fawcett has used his position to secure a Queen's honour for a major donor to that Prince's Foundation. Uh, A Saudi businessman is claimed to have donated about one and a half million pounds to royal charities. And in return, there was a private ceremony that wasn't published in the normal way way that these things are, where he received an order of the British Empire. Uh, Lots of questions about Fawcett in his conduct. Uh, He is someone that Prince Charles in the past has said that he could manage without just about anyone except for Michael. He is very tight in that circle with Prince Charles and lots of questions about what that all might mean. Yeah, and it's more unwanted attention for the royals. Just a few weeks ago, Prince Andrew, the Queen's second son, was sued over claims of sexual abuse. Legal action is coming down the line, so no doubt we'll be hearing more about that one too. The Paralympic Games are officially done and dusted. Our Aussies put in a massive effort, finishing eighth on the medal tally with 21 gold, 29 silver and 30 bronze medals, just one less than our effort in Rio in 2016. So many highlights to choose from, Claire, but tennis champion Dylan Alcott won gold on Saturday, which means he's just one win away from the Golden Slam title. 
Yeah, an incredible effort from Dylan Orcott. He went on to say that the Paralympics really saved his life, that as an athlete and as a man coming through into his 20s and 30s, he really did anchor his life to achieving uh, at the Paralympics and that it meant a whole lot to him. Uh, also distinguishing themselves on the weekend was Curtis McGrath. He took gold in the canoe sprint uh, and an incredible race from Madison Di Rosario. She won the wheelchair marathon just by a second. It was such a thrilling race. Yeah, what an incredible ending to a long race. If you're looking for a sports rundown of what happened over the weekend, Paralympics or otherwise, our Sport Today podcast will get you up to speed in less than 10 minutes. Just search for Sport Today on your favourite podcast app. A link is also in your episode notes. Squiz the day, I'll be keeping an eye on the National Women's Safety Summit, which starts today. It's a two-day consultation with domestic violence advocates and experts to help shape the next national plan to reduce violence against women. There are some pretty big key speakers on the agenda, including Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins, and Aussie of the Year Grace Tame. And for me, still in Canberra, uh, the Senate Media Diversity Inquiry is ongoing. Today, we're going to see the Sky News Australia boss Paul Whitaker, also former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, uh, talk about the things that they're looking into when it comes to News Corp, uh, journalistic standards and truth in news. Lots to keep an eye out for. Just before we wrap up for the day, if you're enjoying the Squiz Today podcast, please tell your people about us. Word of mouth is the number one way that we grow. And if you have a minute and you feel up to leaving us a review, that's always very much appreciated too. That's it. That's my spiel for today. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. We'll catch you again tomorrow. A quick message now from our podcast partner, BHP. Across the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Squizzers about BHP and the work they're doing to provide the materials that we need to transition to a low emission economy for the energy transition. At the start of the podcast, you heard how copper is used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. So when it comes to producing it, reducing emissions is a priority. And that's why BHP is making solar, wind and battery deals to help power their South Australian Olympic dam copper mine. It's happening now at BHP.